Trinity Walls, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're joining me from uh, sunny California, aren't you? I am, Berkeley, California. <laughs> so you are a PhD candidate at UC Berkeley. You're a uh, an arachnologist, so a spider scientist, and a behavioral ecologist. Yes, so I, I have a ton of questions. Yeah, I have a ton of questions for you because I uh, I used to be scared of spiders, and then I joined Science Twitter, and now all of a sudden I'm I'm in love with them. <laughs> and you specifically study um, jumping spiders, which are actually my favorite now. They're adorable. I absolutely adore them. I know nothing about them. So you're the person I wanted to have on the show. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. So I got to ask you, uh, how the heck did you get into studying jumping spiders? Well, so <laughs> um, I was actually interested in spiders from a very, very young age. I believe my mother noticed that I had an affinity for the little creepy crawlers when I was like two. Um, and she always hoped that I would grow out of it. And I like to tell people that I grew into it. Um, but yeah, no, I always thought they were cool. And people were always telling me, you know, oh, it's scary. It's going to kill you. It's, it's going to attack you. It's a monster. Get away from it. And I, when I would observe them, they were always running away from me. And I always used to think, what? Why are they the monster? Why Why are you always saying that they're scared? They're going to attack me. They never, they're always trying to get away from me. I don't understand. And the more that I studied them, the more I realized that almost everything anyone had ever told me about a spider was false. Um, and so I was like, why do we believe these things? Where is this even coming from? So I started studying them myself. And I very quickly determined that they were awesome. They were super diverse. They were really cool. They had all these interesting behaviors. And so I wanted to study them in undergrad, I had to branch out, go to all these different places. Um, I got to work in a zoo for a while. That was fun. Studied some spiders there. Um, did some research. I studied uh, wolf spiders in my master's um, in Cincinnati. And then I came to Berkeley and started studying jumping spiders. Um, wolf spiders are, I mean, they kind of have a name here in Canada for being like these kind of like super huge, super scary spiders, but <laughs> I've been watching a few, you know, YouTube videos on them and they're actually really scared of humans, aren't they? Like they're really, uh, and they're super fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're terrified of humans. Um, they are very, very fast, which, you know, is very helpful for them because they're, they're hunters. So like, they don't like make big web or anything. They have to chase their prey. Um, and get away from the scary humans that are trying to kill them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're super interesting. They're super fun. Um, they're very abundant, so they're kind of everywhere. But I used to hunt for them at night, which was really fun because their eyes shine. So we would go out at night and um, take flashlights and just like shine, shine the flashlights. And you would see what everyone always thought was like dewdrops. But those are not actually dewdrops. Those are just like the eyes of spiders shining back at you. And so we were just like, it's just very obvious. Like, you can see it so well. And so the spider's trying to hide, but it's like this little spotlight running around on the ground. So you just walk up to them, put them in a little vial and go on your merry way. So if I wanted to, to find wolf spiders just out of curiosity, because they're actually pretty rare, like in terms of seeing them in plain sight, mm -hmm. um, I could go into my backyard or a park or something at night and just shine a flashlight. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, you gotta wait till it's dark. But yeah, um, once it once it gets dark, you just you just shine a flashlight. Um, usually we put a we have we have um, headlamps on, so we have them like right at the you know forefront of our heads. And 
um, yeah, you just you just look around. You'll see you'll see a whole bunch of little eyes shining back at you, and they'll disappear because they're usually trying to hide under leaves and things. Um, and if they are on top of the leaves, they'll just duck down because they're like, ah, predators coming. But you know, they they don't get very far. So, <laughs> what's the um, when you look at a picture of a wolf spider? And I encourage people to Google that because they're actually really kind of. Um, I mean, they are big. They look scary, but they're, to me, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the little hairy stuff? Are those actual hairs? Do they enable them to feel uh, things? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so they are covered in hairs. Most spiders have a lot of hairs on their uh, bodies, and those hairs are actually used for sensing. So that's actually kind of how they hear. So um, they're actually very, very sensitive. And when different things come by, whether it be like a wasp or a cricket or something, they can actually, um, that actually moves those hairs and it allows them to actually sense that. And so they can hear that and say, oh, it's coming from this direction. They can estimate how far away it is. And they can actually estimate whether it's like, you know, on the ground or like above them. And if it's a prey or a predator or just something flying by, they can just totally ignore. So is that a little bit like the hairs that are inside our ears? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And so are there major differences between wolf spiders and jumping spiders? I mean, obviously locomotion would be one of them, but what are what would you say are the main key differences between the two? That's a great question. I would say that, well, there's a lot of differences. Their behaviors are incredibly different. Um, wolf spiders don't jump for one thing. Um, they, they run around on the ground. Um, some of them will make uh, little burrows and like hide in the burrows. Um, they're also very, many of them are very active at night. Um, jumping spiders are, they actually have the best, jumping spiders have the best vision of really any spiders in the spider world. Um, we call, sometimes refer to them as little cats because they have vision that's essentially as good as cats. Um, they can see some colors and they do all these uh, crazy displays. They're very curious. So jumping spiders, I would say, are probably the spiders that are the least likely to run away from you. Um, a lot of the spiders that I work with, the larger jumping spiders, um, <laughs> they're so funny because I'll walk up to them and tilt my head and they'll just tilt their head as well and not go anywhere. Um, occasionally, I'll put my hand out and they'll just jump on top of it, sit there and stare at me from my hand. So they're just like, okay, what's next? Um, but yeah, uh, jumping spiders are also usually more active during the day, uh, the morning to early afternoon. So they'll be kind of out of their little, they make these little soap nests that they kind of hide in, but they are early birds and definitely not night owls. So they're active around like 8 a.m., sometimes earlier, and they're usually asleep by like four. So they, they're very different. They're very different sizes. Uh, they use their legs differently. Um, and also most wolf spiders are not going to be very colorful. They're mostly brown, black. You get some gray ones. Um, versus jumping spiders are so incredibly diverse and they come in so many colors. They come in, you know, they have blues and reds and oranges and pinks and all of that. And I've, I've never seen wolf spiders with that many colors. So, Huh. Come to think of it, neither have I actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, jumping spiders, you said their vision was extraordinary. How many eyes do they generally have? So they have eight eyes. Um, they have eight eyes. But they have these big front eyes called their, like, uh, principal eyes. And so these big front eyes are actually um, used more for resolution. So a lot of spiders can't actually see that well. They use their, their the hairs on their legs and other things to sense what's going around them, but like, what's going on around them. But jumping spiders can actually see you. So 
you might walk up behind one and their eyes are used for different things. So those front eyes, those principal eyes are actually used more for resolution and the back ones are actually used for uh, detecting motion, shadows, things like that. And so if you walk up behind one, you'll often see them suddenly turn around and face you. And that's because they're like, what's that? Something moved. And so then now they're focusing on you and they're like, oh, it's whatever, a human, don't care. So <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. that's why they turn around. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So are there any jumping spiders that are venomous? Or are they all pretty much just completely harmless to hu- to humans? Um. So they are venomous in the sense that they have venom, but they're mo- like pretty much all completely harmless to humans. Um, they really don't want to bite you. They would rather conserve the venom because they have to produce it anyway. So like, using all of their venom on this massive thing is like not really useful for them, especially if they don't think it's going to hurt them. So uh, yeah, I don't know of any jumping spiders that are medically significant to humans. Most spiders aren't in general. Um, And they're very unlikely to bite you. I've held a lot and (laughs) none of them ever, ever try to bite me at all. So that's why I was asking because I'm I'm always tempted to handle a jumping spider just because it is so adorable and I'm like <laughs> and it is curious. I think you're you're totally right. Like sometimes I've seen them, you know, in 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 a park or even indoors. I mean, they they show up indoors all all the time, mm-hmm. and you just they just kind of like look at you. And I feel watched. <laughs> you are being watched. <laughs> that's totally that's what's happening. You're being watched. Yeah. <laughs> so what what are they um trinity what are, what do jumping spiders eat um so jumping spiders will eat whatever they can catch generally as long as it's not going to hurt them they will try to eat it um so my jumping spiders that i work primarily they are about a little over an inch long and like again if they can catch it they'll eat it so i've seen them like catch dragonflies out of the air um I mean, they'll catch a frog if they can. They don't care. Uh, they'll they'll wow. eat crickets. Some of them will eat each other. Uh, they're if they're hungry and they think they can take it down, they'll do it. And sometimes they fail. Sometimes it is too big or it's too hard. Or they can't. They, but they'll they'll keep trying. Um, so it's it's so fun to minute. watch. Sometimes they eat each other. Is there like a cased system with spiders? Like how does that work? How do they choose? Oh, I'm going to eat my brother today. Like how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> such a funny choice like today's your doom um but yeah no uh so some spiders it it depends so some spiders kind of have the whole like they you know um, a mama spider will have an egg sac and there'll be like a couple hundred babies in the egg sac and so they'll come out and some of them are a little bit bigger than the others and they'll be in the egg sac for a while or when they just when they come out they like don't go super far and so they need a meal and they sometimes will eat each other. Like, you're a little bit smaller. This works. You know, sorry, bud. Wow. Um, so that happened. That definitely happens uh, with different types of spiders. Um, but, but yeah, uh, sometimes, especially with, like, the females, some of the females will eat the males. The males try to uh, do these elaborate courtship dances and say, hey, I'm a male. Please don't eat me. Please don't eat me. But if she's hungry, sometimes she doesn't care. Sometimes she'll mate with him, then eat him. Like, you know, he's, he's food. So are the females, the females tend to outlive the males then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, for, for many reasons, one being that they eat them, but, um, but also because, um, males often in many species, they mature a little earlier 
and then they go out searching for females, that's their primary target at that point. They're like not as interested in food. Um, they're they're trying to they're trying to mate with as many females as possible and be on their way and live through you know the the kind of battles and then and compete with other males and then the females actually have to produce all these egg sacs so they mate some of the my females produce four to six egg sacs um, each like five or so weeks apart and so by you know by that time a lot of the males are dead but they're like I got I got more I got more to go and so they just produce like eight hundred babies and then. After that, they eventually slowly start uh, moving more slowly. Their faces kind of gray or turn white a little bit. They stop producing as much silk, and then they eventually die. Wow. Such a brutal life yeah. for a male. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. And just to, to specify here is that you specifically look at mate selection in mm-hmm. these spiders, which is, uh, you know, it, it, it's expected that a, a PhD, you know, um, study would be so narrow, right? I mean, that's that's generally what happens in science. Uh, why did mate choice uh, interest you so much? Um, so it didn't actually start off that way. Uh, well, it kind of did, but not quite in what I'm currently doing. So I had seen these spiders, I was traveling around, and I'd seen these spiders, and they were so cool, and I realized they're actually uh, the ones that people see the most often in terms of jumping spiders, because people can actually see their faces and everything. Most people are terrified, they're like, oh, it jumps, but these are big enough, they can actually see the eyes and everything, and they're like, oh, I found one, I'm keeping it, it's so cute. And so um, I wanted, I had found out that a lot of the females of that particular species are different colors. And it actually kind of ranges across Florida. So like in certain places, the females are black or gray or white. In other places, they're like mostly orange or pink. And I was curious if the all the males are black and white. They all look the same. And so I was wondering, do they have a preference for like these different colors females? Do they act differently? Is there some type of like something going on in there? And so I wanted to do that. But when I first went to visit, I actually mostly just found the black and white females. I hadn't really seen a lot of the other colors. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll start running these trials and see see what's going on, see what they're doing, and then I'll go back and collect the other colors later. But what I ended up actually seeing was that, for one, these spiders actually mate all the time. The females never really try to eat the males um, in my particular species. They really don't care. Um, and so I was like, okay, so they're not really showing any mate choice at all. They're kind of just mating with it, with the males they whatever, it's fine. Um, on the other hand, the males were doing their whole, they would you know, throw their throw their legs up and uh, kind of move around and do their whole dance and say, hey, look at me. And she'd say, I'm looking. Um, and then he would mate with her, but not always. Sometimes she would allow him to, and he would just sit on top of her for a while and not mate with her and then get off. And I was like, what in the world are you doing? And occasionally he would like put some silk on her uh, mate with her, put some silk on her, and then get off. And then she would just be, like, stuck in the silk. And so she would be trying to f- get out and, like, pulling it off of her. And I was like, well, what's, you know, what are you doing there? I know some spiders do that, but I didn't think they did. And then after I did this, I was like, okay, well, as, as far as we know, the most jumping spiders don't mate more than once. Since I have these in the lab and they seem to live for a while, let's try to mate them again. And so I tried, and actually... Many of them do mate again, not all of them. It's definitely a lower rate, but some of them do. And it seems like it might be dependent on, like, how close they are to 
producing an egg sac or like when was their last mate? And so I was wondering, okay, do they care? Like once they've mated once, they have sperm, they are able to produce egg sacs. Now do they care how big the male is? Are they less likely to mate with smaller males? Do they care how much he courts? Like what are they looking at? And I've, I've seen that the males are also, they might, may or may not, I haven't finished analyzing this yet, but they also may or may not be more selective as well because the males will do all this courtship and then again, get on top of the female and even turn her sometimes and then just be like, nah, and get off. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? What are you even doing? So that's kind of how I got into it. I was like, I need to know what's going on. Wow. I mean, I love that you shared your your thought pattern there, because that's the thing I've always admired about, you know, I interview artists and I interview scientists. And the two have something in common, which is this, this undying kind of curiosity about how things work or how to express yourself, right? I mean, the arts, you express yourself in science, you look at the world, like you really examine it. So it's really fascinating to me that you ask all of these questions. I want to go back to the one, um, the question that you asked about color which is, did you happen to find out why certain females are different colors? Do the colors do anything for the spider? No, um, I was not able to find that out. The, there was a, um, a hypothesis for a while, not mine, but um, from another scientist from somewhere that was basically saying that maybe that the orange ones were trying to mimic um, – this wasp or something that was more prevalent in those areas. But after looking at it for a while, they don't think that's the case. Um, so they don't know why they're different colors. Um, and I haven't really collected the orange ones. So, Yeah, I guess the next question I would have is, are they always orange, right? Um, in the microscopic world, there's a creature called the Euglena that uh, becomes red uh, at some point in their lifetime if they have too much UV exposure right? Underwater. Mm -hmm. So I'm always curious about color because it seems to be a, a prevalent thing where either creatures can change colors depending on environment or, you know, like you said, for uh, bi biomimicry or, or the, the actual mimicry in the creature. So I, I, was, I had to ask the question, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, it, it seems so, I guess this is an unsolved mystery. Mm -hmm. It is. It is an unsolved mystery. And I would still like to look at it. I would still like to travel more around Florida and collect some more of the orange ones. But the other thing that I found was that because I have these spiders in the lab and I didn't realize how we usually have trouble um, producing spiderlings in the lab because most of the spiders we work with, um, the other lab, my other lab members work with, are very, very small. Mine are over an inch long. Theirs are like less than a centimeter when they're adults. So it's very hard to rear the babies because they just, they're terrified of everything. Everything is, everything that we would feed them is too big for them. Um, versus mine are just like, we can take it. So they don't, they don't care. <laughs> um, but since I raised a whole bunch in the lab, they actually are all different colors. It's not like the fem the gray females produce all gray female babies. They produce many different colored babies, um, some of which are orange babies. And so I'm, now I'm even more curious, like if you produce wow. orange babies, why aren't you in the areas that I collected you? Where, where, where did you go? So I have no idea. So I think you're due for like a second PhD or something because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely fascinating. I hope that perhaps there's a student that will be listening and perhaps will uh, be intrigued enough to study it themselves. Um, so how come, <laughs> like, how come jumping spiders can jump? Like, is there first of all, how high can they go? And second of all, what gives them that power? Because they're so tiny. Yeah. So um, so they can actually jump 
pretty far. Some of them can jump like 50 times or so. They're, uh, they don't really jump up that much. They kind of jump horizontally, you know, but like can, some of them can jump like 50 times or so their body length. So they can get pretty far. Sometimes they're not super accurate. So like there are actually reels of <laughs> jumping spiders, people who study how they jump. There's uh, people who have taken reels of these spiders just like missing the targets over and over and over again, and which is adorable, but so sad. Um, but they actually jump using their... Uh, third and kind of fourth legs, mostly their third legs. Um, so they actually kind of, when they're jumping, they take their front legs and stick them outwards, uh, kind of towards their target. And then as they're positioning themselves, you see right before they actually jump, they also move their second pair of legs and they actually jump with their third legs and try to reach their target. And then they also have a silk line that they will attach to their, um, from their starting point, because if they miss, they don't want to just hit the ground. Um, so they have a silk line that they like stick to their starting point. They jump, they grab onto their target, and um, then they can like detach the the line. But you'll see if they actually miss, they'll just like dangle for a while, and it's because they they miss, and so they don't want to hurt themselves. So they'll just kind of be like, "All right, climb up and try again." So essentially, Spider Man is a human jumping spider. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. You spoke about, speaking of legs, you spoke about the male uh, kind of, you know, pattern of lifting the legs up when they're trying to mate. Uh, what is that all about? Is that like just a dance that they do to attract the females? So, <laughs> so they do a lot of things. And one of the things that many of them do, and it depends on the species, um, but some of them raise their front legs and wave them around so they look a little larger they're showing like my legs are really long you know look at me notice me and some of these are species specific so it's hey i'm the right species um some males actually use their uh third pairs of legs and their third pairs of legs will actually have different colors on them and so they're they're raising them in very particular ways and saying like oh look at this look how colorful this patch on my leg is look at it look at it um and so um, and they've actually seen that females are females are paying attention to this. They're saying, "Oh, look at that! Okay, I see that." Um, and so they they raise their legs, but those are mostly visual signals. Um, they also I don't know if you've heard of uh, peacock spiders, but they were these spiders that were found in Australia that are super cool. They have these flaps on their backs, and they actually can raise that flap up, and they have these crazy colors. So they're called peacock spiders because they remind people of peacocks. Um, and so they raise that that flap, and they they uh, wave it around and they move it really, really fast. And uh, the females can see that and say, oh, that's really cool. But they also produce these vibratory signals. So they'll slam their legs on the ground. Um, some of them have internal mechanisms to produce different sounds. They'll, uh, they have these, their fangs that are attached to these uh, structures called chelicera and they'll bang those on the ground and they'll make all these different sounds that females will hear and recognize and, um, will or would not choose to mate with that individual. Isn't it fascinating that this this mating ritual is almost the same as like birds and other, you know, insects and other mammals? I mean, I think the mammals do that too, right? The males kind of show off a little bit. Yeah. Isn't it pe peculiar that it's the same almost in, in the natural world? Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's actually kind of funny because it's like we see these big animals and we're like, oh, they do these such cool things. They've never been seen before. Nothing else ever does that. And it's like, well, 
actually there are these little teeny things that also do that, but we don't, we can't see them. So like some of the spiders that do all the, they have those crazy weird colors and have these crazy colorful faces. They're actually called paradise spiders and they're named after the birds of paradise because, you know, people didn't know they could do all this, but they have all these crazy dances. Those birds have like the hoods and the, the elaborate plumage and all this stuff. And these spiders do too, but we didn't have the technology yet to actually see them. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. And it's funny, guys, because I, I, I told Trinity, you know, I'm going to just ask you a ton of questions. And so <laughs> this interview is very much just me kind of like peppering all the questions that I need to know. And one of the questions I really need to know is, do you know if spiders like dream when they're asleep? Is that something, do they have that kind of functionality? Or is it something where it's, it's too hypothetical, like we can't ever know if they do dream? I don't think they dream i don't i don't know honestly i have no idea if they dream um you know they slow their metabolisms down and stuff like that but like yeah are they asleep you know yeah it's not it's not the same as we do so we don't they don't have the same cognitive abilities um and you know they're not like can you speak to that that can you speak to their can you speak to their like cognitive abilities? What is it that they can do? They can so the jumping spiders can see. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they can feel uh, vibrations. Can they smell anything? Can they mm-hmm. taste? Yes, so they can taste. Um, they have uh, basically sensory organs and sensory slits and things all over their bodies, on their legs, and on their their uh, pedipalps, which are these uh, shorter appendages in the fronts of their faces. Um, that have a lot of receptors on them so they can actually um, taste and smell different things. And, excuse me, the females, usually many of them leave pheromones in their silk. And so you will see uh, male spiders. We've actually done experiments where we have, um, at my previous lab, where we would leave, uh, put a female in an arena and let her lay down silk for a couple hours and take her out and then put a male spider in there. And he'll walk around for a little bit, like looking around, and then he'll encounter some silk and you'll see it just rub it all into his face and his sensory, his sensory organs and things. And then it'll just start courting like crazy because he's like, she's around here. She was here. And they can actually tell how recently she was there because the pheromones degrade over time. So like if you give him one that was really old, he's like, she's gone. You know, he's not going to really do much versus like if it's very recent, he's going crazy. He's like, she's somewhere around. I can find her. Hear me. Hear me out. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what about the, you, you're, you're talking about the, the spider silk. So the, like the, what we would call the spider web when you're not a scientist, but <laughs> essentially uh, the silk itself, is that like an infinite production? Does a spider, is it, is, is a spider able to just keep producing the silk or is it like uh it's, it's something that is finite? Um, so they do have to produce it so they can produce a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's actually a liquid initially. Um, so it's like proteins in their bodies and it solidifies once the, it hits the air and like uh, the kind of molecules rearrange and it's able they actually pull it out. Um, so you actually could exhaust it, but they're pretty much always producing it. So um, there are uh, videos of different scientists who have harvested the silk and so they actually pin the spiders down. It's kind of sad to watch, but they pin the spiders down and actually attach some silk from their abdomens to like a reel and just keep pulling it out and eventually if you did were to do that you could exhaust it but after a few hours and some resources like eight and stuff like they'll produce more and they'll be fine um but they're not really going to run out while they're just doing their natural uh behaviors 
Okay. I had to ask because I, I was always curious about that. You know, you see spider webs and leftovers of webs. Um, wolf spiders, do they create webs? Wolf spiders? Um, no, they don't really create webs. Um, like, do they have soap? Can they produce soap? Sure. But like, do they create webs? Like we think about it? No. Um, mm-hmm. that really, it's mostly just like, there are lots of different types of webs, sheet webs, orb webs, things like that. Um, but many spiders just run along the ground and produce like burrows and things. And some spiders will put like a little bit of silk at the end of the burrow. And so like they don't necessarily have like a web, but they have these lines of silk that are very, very sensitive. And so like something will walk across the silk and like trigger the vibration and the spider will feel it in the hole and run out and grab whatever it is and go back. But it's not like a web. Okay, that's really smart, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about smart. like, uh, <laughs> what about like on a rainy day? You know, when when water hits the webs and and even just a little silk cover on their on their burrows and, and things like that. I guess the the water affects uh, silk, right? Mm-hmm. It can affect silk. Um, it can degrade certain things. So, like I talked about the pheromones earlier. If you put a bunch of water on the the silk, the pheromones are going to go away. Like, you're not going to be able to smell that anymore. Um, Some spiders can probably use the water for different things. But many spiders also, like, depending on how big the the drops are and stuff, they, many of them have, like, little hides. And so, like, the web can probably withstand it. It's very flexible and can withstand wind and things like that. They kind of build that flexibility into it. But many, many spiders have, like, a little hide that they can go into. And so they may just sit in there um, until the storm passes and then they can come back out and sun themselves or whatever they need to do. Um, but yeah, it, some of the water can like degrade the quality, um, but it's not necessarily usually going to like actually mess up the structure of the web. Yeah. Which I guess it makes sense because when you see, you know, a web after a rainy day or like a very kind of morning dew thing, you see like the droplets, they're just sitting on, on the silk. It's kind of you know, first of all, it is beautiful to look at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you'd agree. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. But yeah, it doesn't look like it permeates it. Um, yeah. I want to move on a little bit because you call yourself a behavioral ecologist. I've had a lot of ecologists on the show, uh, mm-hmm. mostly like uh, people who work with uh, microscopic creatures and in, in, with water and stuff like that. Behavioral ecologist. It, it, is that because of the, the study of spiders? Can you explain that for me? Yeah, so I'm primarily an arachnologist. I um, I study spiders. I want to do it for the rest of my life. Um, but, you know, it changes what I'm currently looking at. So, like, right now I call myself a behavioral ecologist just because um, I am kind of looking at how their behaviors of these spiders interact and change with their environments. So, like, um, they often change how they behave based on what substrate they're on or, like, how hot it is or you know, the abundance of prey or predators or whatever. And so I do call myself a behavior ecologist in in that regard, um, based on what I'm currently doing. But I'm mostly just interested in spider behavior in general. Like, how do they behave? What are they doing? And also, like, why people are afraid of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely going to touch on that topic. Um, but before we do, you mentioned temperature right now. And I'm curious to know, because I live in a Northern climate, I'm in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, where it snows like six months out of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to spiders during the wintertime? Do you know? Yeah. So, well, it depends on the spider. So many, mm-hmm. some spiders die. So there are many spiders live for like a year or less. And so their life cycles are kind of timed around these temperatures. So some spiders 
um, produce egg sacs right before the winter, and then they the, all the adults die, and the egg sacs are more insulated, and they're hidden in places that are a little more insulated. And so when it becomes spring and the, the temperatures warm up, the the, the egg sacs, um, the spiders come out, the babies come out, and they start molting and maturing and all of that type of thing. There are some spiders that are very good at thermoregulating, and they can kind of dig down and get into a burrow or get into whatever helps them and kind of insulate and they can um, kind of regulate their temperatures so that their temperatures are just high enough that, they, you know, they're still alive. Like their metabolism is really, really slow. They're not doing anything. They're not really eating or anything, but they're also not using any resources. So they're just waiting it out and they might run out. If you get really warm day, they might run out and like sun themselves or try to find some food or whatever and come back. But yeah, it really just depends, but they're definitely able to survive the winter. Yeah, well, I guess it, that that would explain why we have spiders all the time, right? <laughs> but I was always curious, you know, because I, I tend to ask people who uh, come on the show who are specialists in specific creatures, like what happens to them in the winter? Because you don't see it, you know, you're in a winter climate, you just see snow, you don't know where all the little creatures are hiding. So right. you know, I like to ask those, those kinds of questions. Um, the next one would be, what about things like climate change? Has that, have you found anything in your research or are you curious to see, you know, um, because obviously that's displacing all kinds of creatures. And I'm wondering right. if things like, you know, the drought in California, how that's affecting the spider population. Uh, do you want to comment on that? Sure. Um, so it definitely affects the little guys. Absolutely. Many of them are not able to find the habitats that they need or the prey that they need or it gets too hot. Um, and so they're not able to function. They're not able to, you know, go where they need to go in order to, um, you know, cool their bodies. Um, and so they have to either, they either have to move or they just die or they get picked off by, you know, other predators that want, that come in that were not there before and now they're being picked off or like their prey is gone and so they have to try to find something else and so they're moving. And I actually, when I was an undergrad, I did um, a study in um, in Puerto Rico for a little while and it was, it was really interesting. I was looking at um, the web components of different orb-weaving spiders and I actually went during a drought and uh, there was a particular spider, I think it was a spiny-backed orb weaver, that was supposed to be super abundant. Could not find that thing to save my life. It was just not there. Um, and other people went back later when there was more water and it was back. But, like, it was gone. And everyone was like, what happened to this spider? Um, and so, yeah, as as you have droughts and things like that, the spiders are moving. And if they last for too long, they may just not come back. And also, they will change the structures of their webs and the sizes based on the temperatures. So, like, some of them will actually make uh, webs that are denser, like the spirals that you see in webs. They may actually be closer together because of, you know, a lack of moisture. Or they may do something else because there's too much moisture. Or they, like, may change the angle because they are very specific about the angles that they have their webs at and things like that. They'll change it based on all of those factors. So, I am, I am concerned about it because I'm wondering, like, what's going to happen to them? 
Yeah, it's definitely a topic of conversation, and it's something that we need to start you know, paying more attention to, for sure, is is the topic of climate change and how it affects, you know, we, we know how it affects humans and, and bigger animals, but we, we rarely talk about the little ones, especially the more kind of so-called scary ones, like spiders. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk about arachnophobia now, because that's something <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty contentious. Right. Uh, you said that you like to talk about this. Um I, out of curiosity, right before starting to record, I looked up some articles on spiders on the internet, and I'll Mm -hmm. show you some of the adjectives that they used. They used frightening, Mm -hmm. terrifying, (laughs) demon-like. These are just some words that the the press uses when they describe uh, spiders. So um, what's your take on that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... I. Yeah, I think arachnophobia is one of the number one fears that people have. Uh, It's very common, very widespread. And I like to talk to people about it because I like to ask them, like, you know, where, where, where does it come from? Because many people talk to me and they say, what do you do? And I say, I study spiders. And they say, ew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or why would you do that? Oh, that's gross. And I'm like, well, someone's got to study them, you know, like they, they do a lot of great things for us. They, they're the ones, you know, walking around killing the roaches and the flies and everything. And I don't know why we hate them. And so I like to ask people, you know, why do you hate spiders? Where, where do you think that came from? And it's a wide range of answers. Some people say they have too many eyes. And I say, have you ever seen the eyes of a spider? And they say, no. And I'm saying, well, then why why are you afraid? Well, they have too many. Like, but you've never seen them. Or they have too many legs. And I say, well, what's an acceptable number of legs? And I, they say four. And I say, why? You know, do we have to talk about that? Or they're too hairy. And I'm like, what what constitutes too hairy, though? Like, we like dogs. They're way hairier. Just just lots of – or they can bite. And I tell them babies bite. Like, it just, you know, there's so many. So, yeah, I like to ask them. And usually a lot of it's just a lack of knowledge. It's a lot of – the unknowns. It's a lo- There's so many myths that are floating around that are very widespread about spiders. People tell me, oh, well, we eat eight every every year. You know, they, they drop into our mouths at night and we eat them. And I talk to them about how spiders sense, how spiders sense vibrations and things like that. And I tell them, spiders are very unlikely to go in your mouth. You're like a giant sleeping predator. Why would they go into a giant cave that's breathing and like, it's like asking for death? They, they're not going to do that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a lot of it is just – it's also the media. Like p- The media loves to use giant spiders as like, you know, the antagonist or like the monster in, in, in movies and things. And people say, oh, it's horrifying. Have you seen that movie? And I'm, I say, no, but uh, one, usually spiders don't look like that. And, and second, they don't have any interest in, in eating you, hurting you. Like it's not a good use of their time or venom. Like they, they have other things to do. Um. And so we're mostly just killing them because we don't know anything about them or, you know, our, our parents were afraid of them. And so they told us to be afraid. And you know, my mom was the same. My mom was like, these are horrifying. Be afraid of those. For some reason, it didn't work on me. I don't know why. But now she's she's the opposite. She's um, I mean, she's still not a huge fan of them, but she's super curious. She wants to know. I have tarantulas at home and she's she calls and she's like, how are they doing? Did you feed them recently? Do they have water? Like this is so different than when I was wow. five or six and you were telling me not to not to touch those things. 
So, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say I have two theories, which is one of them is mimicry. You're going to mimic your parents, right? So for me, my mom was terrified of spiders. I became terrified of spiders. The only way I lost the the fear of spiders, again, was through exposure. So joining science Twitter, you know, seeing uh, scientists uh, rave about them and then learning about them, seeing how beneficial they are. I read a book called Never Home Alone. I think that's what it's called. Never Home Alone by Rob Dunn, which talks about, you know, the creatures that live within your house, including, mm-hmm. you know, spiders. And, you know, um, and then my other theory is simply that, you know, perhaps evolutionary where we're, we might be, you know, have a background of being scared of things that could potentially be venomous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only time I've been scared of a spider uh, since I joined Twitter is uh, one time I turned on the lights to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and there was a giant spider on my toothbrush. Ooh, so I was like, yeah. okay, that's not, that, that's not cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you can't be there. That's not. Mm-mm. Yeah, you can't. No, you can't be there. What do you recommend to people who find, you know, a spider on their toothbrush? Is it best to relocate them? What What do you do with that? Yeah, I would just, I would just put it outside. Um, it's probably just passing through, doesn't realize that it's on your toothbrush, and it's, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't mean to be there. And so, just put it outside. It's, it'll be on its merry way. Um. Yeah, that's usually that's usually my recommendation. And also you're gonna get to see it. You get to you know, you capture it, you look at it, you're like, Oh, what is this? This is interesting. Okay, all right. Well, now it hasn't hurt me, it didn't do anything. I put it outside, we had an interaction that was not horrible, and you know, I can go to bed, I know that it's gone. Um, and you know, I didn't have to kill it or smush it or any of those things. Um, oh, that's the other thing that I think a lot of the fears come from is the fact that um a lot of people uh say that they have been bitten by spiders um, and uh, they don't actually know. So a lot of bites and things are attributed to spiders. And if you take it to a doctor, many doctors, not all, but many doctors will say, okay, it was a spider bite. And you can just tell them what spider and they'll say, sounds right. Um, And they won't ask for the spider itself and to actually confirm it you need to capture the spider that bit you and bring it in and say this is what bit me i saw it bite me here it is um and i was looking at it i actually did a little bit of research once on this uh on a particular type of spider that everyone was saying oh it's so bad it's so venomous and then i looked at it i looked at um some different articles and some some uh journals and things and there were like 44 different diseases infections whatever that had been attributed to this spider, like poison ivy and things, people would get that and say, I think it was a spider bite. And back in the day, people would say, okay, sounds good. And some of that still actually exists. And so people just say, oh, something, something bit me had to have been a spider. Um, And so the, the myths continue, but a lot of it's just like these spiders are just kind of chilling. No, you're totally right. Uh, I've had, a, you know, a lot of interactions with friends over the years where they've been like, oh, yeah, you know, I have this itchy bump. I got bit by a spider when I was sleeping or whatever, you know, you, just have, <laughs> you have an itchy bump and it's like it could have been probably a mosquito. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Also, you were sleeping. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. You no know, spider bit you. <laughs> exactly. Um what about things like webs? You know, they're, they're unsightly if you have a web mm-hmm. inside your home, um, you know, on the ceiling or web, whatever. Right now, I just leave them alone because, I mean, it's still COVID. We're still in lockdown here. So it's mm-hmm. like not nobody's coming over. Who, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. But for people who are like, oh, I don't want to leave it there because it's unsightly. Uh, what do you do exactly? 
That's an excellent question. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I'm kind of like you. I tend to just I, – I leave it. Um, I, I honestly just leave it even when <laughs> we're not in, like, lockdown and things. We just I, – because I just don't really care that they're there. Um, but again, I would just say – I would just say move it. Um, spiders, again, they produce a lot of silk. They can rebuild their webs. Um, I would just – I would just move it. It's usually just there. I would also, you know, check around because sometimes they're there because – you know, there's some insects around and they're, they they took up residence there because they think there's something to eat. Um, so if like if you see any insects, uh, check and see if you have any food out or anything or just remove the insects, like take get rid of them. And then the spiders are usually going to go because they have nothing to eat. Um, right. But, yeah, I would just I would just take it outside, sweep up the web and you don't have to look at it anymore. And you're and you're good to go. Um and a lot of them will make webs in like little corners and things and like look for a little bit of food. But I mean, I have one in my house right now that uh, one of my roommates is not a big fan of spiders. And she was good with it until it started like slowly making a longer web across the, the ceiling. And I was like, man, you know, you were doing good. And, and now you're like, you know, encroaching on this territory that she's not a fan of. I'm not going to like leave you there because she's, you know, walking under you every day and like freaking out. So I'll move you, but if you just stay in your little corner, you're you're good to go. <laughs> exactly. I can just picture your your roommate thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's not a fan. You um, <laughs> you're 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 a lot of fun to talk to about science, and Thank I you. think that one of the causes that you're you're passionate about is is you know science communication and and sharing. Uh, you know, you mentioned on your Twitter. I think you have it in your bio that outreach is big for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this something that you want to keep doing like professionally is, is talking about science to the public? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel like I'm probably most alive when I'm doing outreach and things like that, because as much as I love doing like research and things like that, and you find all these interesting things, that's great. But, you know, you write it up and you put it in a paper and the people who read it are the other people who are just like you, who know basically everything about it besides the new little thing that you found. Um, And it's super technical and it's got all these big terms and, you know, the public's not reading that. And um, I, I would rather talk to people and go out and say, and talk to kids and talk to, talk to everyone and say, Hey, what do you do? You know, cause you have a different specialty. I want to know what you do. Tell me what you're interested in. Okay. This is what I'm interested in. What questions do you have for me? And then, you know, they, they can go out and, and do whatever with that information. They can go be creative. And I tell them, this is what inspires me. What inspires you? Show me. Um, and I, I love that aspect of outreach. I love taking my tarantulas out and going out to, schools and, you know, bringing out my tarantulas and saying, oh, this is, you know, this is Olympia. She's this kind of tarantula. She's got these different colors. She lives for, you know, 25 years and I've had her since I was whatever age and all these things. And they, they freak out a little bit and I'm like, yeah, but okay, you want to come up and see her? And they want to come see and they get to tell their parents, I saw this tarantula, you know, and I didn't get hurt. It was totally fine. And it's her pet. And um, and especially for, for little girls. I remember as a little girl, the boys got to play with all the cool stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like a born in 1977, so I'm really old school. <laughs> but back in the day, it wasn't cool for girls to play with snakes and play with spiders and stuff. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. better these days. I'm assuming it is. But I, I would still assume that it's it's kind of cool, you know, for a little girl to be exposed to it and have the same chance as, you know, uh, the other kids to, to explore this this part of science. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I got to go to a, a school, not recently because of COVID, but like right before COVID happened, um, I went to a school of, I think, fifth graders or so that were, um, it was like a Saturday class. They were all in class on Saturday and I got to be like a little guest speaker. And this little girl walked up to me with her spider book and she was like, I like spiders too. And like was showing oh. me all the, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you are the most precious person. And I felt so honored that she like wanted to show me her book. She was so excited. And I was like, you keep that enthusiasm. You know, you, you go study that. You go do what you want because they need a voice. They need a voice and you know, you're, you've got a voice and you should, you should absolutely study whatever you want. And also I, I appreciated the fact that like, you know, I appreciate the diversity in spiders. And I feel like, um, that we needed to reflect that we need to reflect that diversity and there should be a diversity of people studying things mm -hmm. as well. So like, there's a lot of stereotypes of, you know, who should study what and when and where and, and things. And I, and I, I really want people to pursue their interest, you know, even if it's something that's not necessarily generally accepted. Like, you know, I love spiders and a lot of people say that's gross. I'm like, ah, they're actually really cool. And I get to go out and do that and you should go study whatever you want too. So. Yes, a hundred percent. Totally agree. Um, I don't like to interview scientists without speaking about their other interests. And okay. we have about 10 minutes left. I know that you enjoy dancing. <laughs> I do. I, I know. I saw that on your Twitter and I was like, I have to bring this up because you mm -hmm. love dancing with salsa, but also something that I don't know how to pronounce with, uh, which I think is called bachata or bachata. bachata. bachata? Mm -hmm. Tell me, what what is that? Um, so it's kind of it's kind of similar to salsa in the sense that they're often played together in different um, clubs and things. So I go to a lot of like salsa bachata clubs and um, it's basically this dance that uh, salsa often is kind of a front back dance. Like you step back and then you step forward versus bachata usually starts side to side. Um, and so it's kind of like a, you know, a one, two, three, four, and then you change direction, go back the other way, five, six, seven, eight. Um, and it's a lot of people who dance bachata also dance salsa. And it's just, it's just really, really fun. It's um, I started off dancing salsa in Puerto Rico when um, I was living in I was living in the rainforest with a bunch of friends, and we would lose power, and we would lose, um, you know, there would be no light or anything, and we would lose water sometimes. And I was like, "Well, what do we do?" And all the people who were used to the island were just like, "Do you know how to dance salsa?" I was like, "Well, no, like, <laughs> we like, would have learned dance. today in the dark. Exactly, we dance now, and it was great. It was like so much fun. It was, it was. I was like, "Well, okay, show me." And so they did, and it was amazing, and. Then I started craving it. I would, you know, I, I got back and I went to grad school and I was like, I need to dance. And so I started finding these communities. And then when I got to Berkeley, I was trying to find a community and I heard someone tell me, uh, um, someone told me that I could join the salsa class, but I misheard them. So I went to this class and they're like, all right, we're going to learn bachata. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, um, Okay. And, but I started doing it and I love it. It's amazing. Um, it's really, really fun. And it's, it gave me a lot of new friends and a big community. And it's just like what I do on the weekends. And it's actually kind of fun because I think about it and I sometimes think about like the spiders dancing and I like want to put it to salsa music. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yeah, they're like going back and forth. They're like doing the bachata. They're moving back and forth. They've got the rhythm down. Like it's, 
It's great. Like, I feel this in my soul. The spiders and me dancing together. Bachata, let's do it. Nice. So. This should be like a YouTube. Make it turn it into a meme. Get an animator to work with you or something. <laughs> I should. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, it would be. Um, do you find that dancing allows you to kind of get out of your head? Um, mm-hmm. Because I hear this a lot from from people who are both intellectual but also kind of artistic and who move with their bodies. You know, some scientists do theater on the side. Some si- scientists play the guitar. In your case, you're dancing. So I would Im- imagine that it would get you out of your head for like a night. Yes, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. I can sometimes I just feel the need. Like I can't. You know, I, I've been been in the lab for a long time, or I'm stressing about something, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I need to dance it off. I need to go out and and dance the night away and hear the music and hear the DJ and see all these other people spinning around and you know doing their different moves. We're all just and we I know we all have different jobs and everything. We're all here together right now to just let it all out. And we do, and we dance for a few hours and I come home and I sleep really well, you know? <laughs> So it's, yeah. I feel the same way with um, boxing. So I took up boxing in 2018. And boy, do you ever sleep well after pounding on the heavy bag? You know, it's one of those things where you just kind of like get it out of your body. It just feels good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Boxing's a lot of fun. If you ever get a chance to try it out, it's a different kind of movement, you know. Um, But I was also wondering, like, okay, so. What's next after this? So you, you're a PhD candidate. Um, when are, when do you think you're going to do your um, your defense? Is that is that coming up soon, or is that in a while? Uh, that'll be a while. So okay. we have a uh, we usually just do finishing talks, and so what we uh, I think I would do that probably in about three years. I'm a little behind because you know COVID and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm heading to Florida in about a month to um, go out and collect a bunch of new specimens. Um, and so I'll try to ramp up again and like get a lot done and fill the lab with my, uh, as my lab mates refer to them as the the monsters, just because they're larger than everybody else's spiders, but um, they love them. But yeah, I'm thinking maybe in three years, I hope to finish in about three years. And then I honestly, I'm not really sure because I really want to teach. Like I love teaching, but I also, I want to go, excuse me, I want to go out. I want to like, I want to teach, like, field courses and things, you know? Mm-hmm. I like being in the lab, but at the same time, like, I, I, I kind of want to just go out and, like, take undergrads with me and grad students and be like, go, you know? <laughs> we have this yeah. much time. I This is what I see. What do you see? Um, and I feel like I learned so much that way, and they learned so much. And it's just I, – I love that aspect of it, just the interactive, like, let everybody run wild um, in a controlled way. And – um, I, yeah, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to focus more on the outreach part. I'm working on a website that I'm trying to design and I want to give resources and like ask people like, what do you want to know? What do you want to see? And kind of design what I'm doing around that. Yeah, I think you should start like a spider TikTok or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be <laughs> yeah. fun. I have plenty it of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really hope that you do end up teaching. I mean, who knows? You could always start like a new program where you teach about spiders during the day and then you teach them salsa at night. You know, <laughs> make it fun. <laughs> make it a dual thing. You get your credit if you can dance about spiders, you know? Oh, my gosh. I love <laughs> yeah. that. That's hilarious. I need more practice first, though. I don't think I can teach salsa <laughs> or bachata. <laughs> 
Uh, listen, it's been so much fun having you on the program. I feel so much more educated about spiders. And now the, I think the next time I'm going to see a jumping spider, I'm just going to stare at it and, and just a- admire everything that you've told me about them, you know, and maybe start photographing them. I think that's something that would be really curious. So, uh, Trinity, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 